This message comes from NPR sponsor, Mattress Firm. Do you get the quality sleep you need? Mattress Firm will find you the right bed for your best rest with their wide selection of quality mattresses at every price. Get matched at Mattress Firm's Memorial Day sale. Sleep at night. Hey, hey, you're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. I'm Brittany Luce. This week, we're looking at some of the best TV of the year. And in 2023, Succession is definitely high on the list. But I've noticed it's part of a larger, ongoing trend. There are so many recent TV shows and movies that immerse viewers in the lives of filthy, rich jerks. The White Lotus, Triangle of Sadness, The Menu. And I don't watch Billions, but it is about to have four spinoff series. You can't swing a diamond-studded something or another without hitting a prestige project about the ultra-wealthy. There's a lot of these shows. That's Nina Metz. She's a TV and film critic at the Chicago Tribune. And she thinks there's too many stories about the super elite, especially when there's been increased public interest in organized labor. Last year, union petitions were up by half, and Hollywood itself is now deep into hot strike summer. Those storylines are absent (laughs) from what we're seeing in TV and film. In this chat from March, I sat down with Nina to talk about what happened to union movies and what prestige dramas about the rich actually do to our psyches. Nina, welcome to It's Been a Minute. Thanks for having me. To jump right in, these pieces of media or entertainment, these films and TV shows are obviously being ushered in by executives. But also, I mean, they are being released to a public that is enjoying them at the very least. (laughs) I mean, even if some of these shows, I don't love the characters, I don't feel like following every plot line, I'll show up every week because some of them are just well done. What is it about these shows or movies about the super wealthy that appeal to us as viewers? I think there's a few different reasons. I think audiences are seeking out escapism. And escapism is not without value, especially when it feels like the screws are tightening. I sometimes think of it as thumbing through a a copy of Architectural Digest. (laughs) It's fun to kind of like dive into those spaces. Like you said, they're very well made. The acting is terrific. And these different shows are doing different things. I think Succession's appeal is that You know, it's this group of very punchy people Mm -hmm. who are dysfunctional. Mm -hmm. The writing is very antic and sharp, Mm -hmm. and it really invites you to laugh at them. Greg, this is not Charles Dickens' world, okay? You don't go around talking about principles. Which is can feel sort of cathartic, right? Like, you have all this money, and And you're you're still miserable. miserable. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. And on some level, you're like, I might have student loan debt that I'll be paying off for the next 40 years of my life. But I know a mother's love or like, you know, or like me and my siblings haven't plotted on each other, like very serious in real ways. It's like almost like cold comfort. But many of these shows like Succession and The White Lotus or even extending outward to films like The Menu and, and Triangle of Sadness, these shows and films can be critical of the super rich. In your opinion, do they go far enough? I would say that these stories are primarily critical of individuals who are on screen. 
Mm. They're not critical of systems that exist mm. and systems that are sort of deliberately designed to benefit the few at the cost of the many, right? Mm -hmm. So it's a very deft way of not actually having to engage with the issues. Like, let's talk about The Menu. The Menu is a movie where if you are a legitimately rich person watching that, which, by the way, a lot of people in Hollywood would fall into that category. <laughs> sure, sure. If you're watching that, it's very easy for you to say, well, I would never be an obnoxious person like that guy mm. that John Leguizamo is playing. Mm -hmm. Or do you know what I mean? Yeah, I would never yeah, be yeah. like those finance bros. You know who we are, right? Yes. Flip us a little bread. No. Ah, Did you say no? I said no, yes. Okay. I am cool. <laughs> I'm polite <laughs> to service workers, right? It gives you an out. It becomes like about personal behavior rather than the structures hmm. that create all this inequity and perpetuate it and sort of lock it into place. I mean, I think we're seeing eat the rich stories, but those aren't going to galvanize anyone to do anything, right? Which is probably the point. Coming up, Nina on what kinds of union storylines she wants to see in the world. Stick around. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Discover. Here's a familiar situation. You have a question about your credit card. You call the number for help and can't get a hold of anyone. If only you had a Discover card. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. A real person. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This message comes from NPR sponsor REI Co-op. REI has gear, clothing, classes, and advice for camping and glamping, biking and hiking, axing and snacksing, backpacking, and another outdoor thing that rhymes with backpacking. Visit your local REI Co-op or REI.com for the million and one ways you can opt outside. On Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, we have very important people on our show and then ask them about very unimportant things. Here's U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen. Uh, we are also reliably informed that among your enthusiasms, in addition to macroeconomic policy, is mobile games. Uh, there is some truth in that. There's some truth in that. Join us for the NPR podcast that considers all the other things. That's Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. With the lack of union TV shows and movies and a lot of TV shows and movies about billionaires. What messaging do you think Hollywood is sending to America? There's something sort of defeatist about it, I think. The best you can hope for is to laugh at these fools with their money. And I think a lot of people would disagree with me because they get sucked into the stories but I think ultimately these shows are very, there's something empty about them. The world doesn't need maybe another story about the inner lives of the wealthy. Like we, we have been immersed in the inner lives of the wealthy. And at the same time, there's a conspicuous dearth of other kinds of stories. I think Hollywood executives should feel that question 
aimed towards them. Hmm. Why aren't you giving us these stories? Why? We've been talking about stories about power, at least just within the context of this conversation, kind of between two poles. There is like collective action and the uber wealthy to, you know, to whom we are nothing but peons, right? But there is a third narrative trope that Hollywood loves to rely on. And that is that of the superhero. And I think that presents like another way of thinking about power where you have the big bads, you got superhero or a cadre of superheroes who are there to defend the defenseless who right. are thought to be, you know, people like you and I. And right. these superheroes have extraordinary abilities that allow them to stand up to these big bad guys. They're special, right? There's generally only one or fewer than 100 of them <laughs> standing up to, you know, the forces of evil in this world. Are studio executives, could they be so attached to the superhero trope that they can't imagine making a popular movie about collective action? Right. You know, the guy who's the creator of The Boys, which is a TV series on Amazon, which is sort of a satire, let's say, of a lot of superhero tropes, has has sort of argued that so many years of superhero movies maybe have conditioned people to feel like someone has to come save us. Mm. Like we don't save ourselves. It's someone else's job, someone with more resources, more talent, more whatever. I think there's actually something to that because there's another genre, especially on TV, which are cop shows. Right. And so to me, I think, huh, if you look at these stories in aggregate, what they are saying is, if there's any saving to be done, Hmm. leave that to us. Because you regular, regular people, you can't beat the odds. Hmm. If we take all of this together... Maybe that's one message that's being sold to us. Well, on the flip side, you sort of have the narcotic of succession, the white lotus. Hmm. None of these things are inspiring people to action. So again, is that intentional or is that just a byproduct of what's been happening in Hollywood right now? I don't know. But I do think... The media we consume isn't just entertainment. It seeps into our subconscious and Mm. it shapes the way we think about the world and the way we think about what's possible. So if seeing regular people band together, if that was ubiquitous in TV and film, it would probably seem less daunting. The lack of representation around unions is even more surprising to me when you think about the Hollywood Writer's strike of 2007, 2008, which lasted months, lasted months. It lasted so long that it changed the media landscape. It it paved the way for the rise of reality television because there weren't writers. So producers and execs had to come up with unscripted programming. Many of the people who are working in TV today remember (laughs) this writer's strike of 2007, 2008. But also, like, Hollywood is preparing for the possibility of another Writers Guild strike this spring. There's probably a lot of union scripts out there somewhere, right? Somebody's writing these union stories. Yeah. But where are, I guess, the, sh- the, the union shows and union movies of today? Like, somebody's probably writing these things. Why aren't they getting to the screen where you and I might see them? I've heard from a few people very off the record 
that, mm-hmm. you know, they will have meetings with development executives who would be interested in storylines mm. like this. But further up the food chain, it's just not going to get greenlit. The very Hollywood executives we're referring to would be the targets in this story of bosses who need to reform (laughs) and stop exploiting their workers. So we're not in the rooms where the decisions are being made and where executives are sort of speaking freely. So all we can do is try to extrapolate from what is getting made. Are there narrative challenges to making union movies? I mean, I think there are challenges to making a good story. Hmm. And I suspect that there are many screenwriters who can and do want to do this. They're just not getting the funding. They're just not getting greenlit. I was <laughs> looking back, you know, there's all these old shows on Tubi. The A-Team is one of them. Uh-huh. The A-Team was this action-adventure show from the 80s. It's a goofy show, and it's about these sort of uh, soldiers of fortune who help out the little guy. I-, I did not expect to see an episode devoted to helping farm workers unionize. The A-Team thanks you. The newly founded Workers' Cooperative thanks you. You'll have a union in this valley over my dead body! That's exactly what I... This is in 1983, this episode airs. I mean, that's squarely in Reagan's America. That's right. And we don't even just see a, a random episode like that today on broadcast network TV. It's just not showing up as a storyline, let alone the main storyline. You know, the most recent show that really sort of dug into this was Superstore. Yeah, I loved that show. Yeah, which, you know, has not been on the air for a couple of years now. Yeah, It was the last one. It was a show about work. I really like shows about work and the work of work. (laughs) And Superstore was about work. And it was told from the perspective of these big box workers unionizing and what that process looked like. Make sure the negotiator pushes for maternity leave. That's important. And holiday pay. Here, to remind you. It's all in the union proposal, so I don't think I'll need a reminder. If we're we're talking about, like, on the shows that currently exist on a show-by-show basis, why aren't we seeing storylines either like that one-off A-team episode or more sort of concerted storylines. I think there's the fear that when you talk about like labor issues, it sounds like eat your vegetables content. <laughs> Does not sound fun, right? Oh, gosh. I can see that. I can see that. Like the white, lo- wait, let's go on a five-star vacation right. to the White Lotus. Right. I don't want to right. do labor organizing. But here are two shows that are very popular that are not necessarily about unions, but they're about work mm-hmm. and labor. Abbott Elementary. Yes. And The Bear. Yeah. So these are two very different shows <laughs> about people, some of who don't even like each other, coming together to problem solve, to strategize, to figure out a way to do the thing together. It's mm. not an individualistic project. It only works if we all come together to figure this out. And those shows are funny and very, very popular. So there's sort of these outliers that I think provide a good counterbalance. It's it's not enough, but Mm. I feel like they are a persuasive argument that there's an audience for this. People like these shows and they will watch them. Well, Nina, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. 
Thanks again to Nina Metz, who I talked to in March. You can find her work at the Chicago Tribune. This episode of It's Been a Minute was produced by Barton Girdwood, Alexis Williams, Liam McBain, Corey Antonio Rose. Our editor is Jessica Placzek. Engineering support came from Joby Tanseko. Our executive producer is Verilyn Williams. Our VP of programming is Yolanda Sanguini. Our senior VP of programming is Anya Grundman. All right. That's all for this episode of It's Been a Minute from NPR. I'm Brittany Luce. Talk soon. On NPR's Throughline. We cannot function for 24 hours without COBOL. Because it's in our smartphone, our tablet, our laptop. And as a consequence, the lives of the people living in that part of the Congo descended into just a catastrophe. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I hear you have a birthday coming up. Yeah, you. If you're listening to this, that means you have a birthday coming up eventually. And here at Life Kit, we want it to be a special one. Magic can happen and good luck can happen and serendipity can happen if we're open to it. How to have a good birthday, even if you're not a birthday person. That's on the Life Kit podcast from NPR. Jasmine Morris here from the StoryCorps podcast. Our latest season is called My Way. Stories of people who found a rhythm all their own and marched to it throughout their lives. Consequences and other people's opinions be damned. You won't believe the courage and audacity in these stories. Hear them on the StoryCorps podcast from NPR.